0: This um, God then establishes co- his covenant with Isaac and says, "I'm going to bless you. I promised this to your father Abraham. I'm going to promise it to you because of your father Abraham." Um, and then we move into a scene where Isaac's getting old; he's about to die, or at least he thinks he's about to die, and it's time to bless his children. And so Rebecca, his wife, hears that he is going to bless Esau with the blessings. Um, Rebecca is not. Favorable towards this, so she and her son Jacob um, orchestrate a plan to deceive Isaac so that Jacob gets the blessing instead of Esau. The plan works. Jacob receives the blessing. Esau gets mad and wants to kill Jacob. In order to prevent that, Rebekah encourages her husband to send Jacob off to the family, same family that she came from, her brother's household in order that he could find a wife and to prevent being killed by Esau. So that's the story. That's the story we're covering today. There's more story to come uh, about Jacob after he heads off towards his uncle's house, his family. Uh, but that's, this is what we're going to cover today. Now, it's common for preachers and pastors and interpreters to see this primarily from a moral lens, okay? They see the the moral challenges that each of the characters have. They see how it contributes to to family disharmony, disharmony, and eventually it ends up with this brother that wants to kill his other brother, and seemingly the marriage is not doing well. And that's really not the way to interpret the text. And so what I want to do is work through the characters themselves, to see how the text develops them. Because, the, again, the Hebrew literature is written in a way where it's, uh, it's very economical. It doesn't explain a lot of things in detail, and it doesn't tell us what it wants us to think. All right, We kind of have to just keep asking questions and interpreting in light of the primary intent of the author of the text so the primary intent of the book of genesis is is for the reader to see that god is working a plan to redeem all of humanity and that plan uh, is centered upon this promised child from genesis chapter 3 a child that god said would be born to a woman this offspring of woman and that he would crush the head of the serpent and bring life to all of God's creation. And so the the text unfolds with that as the central concern. We continue to see the downfall of humanity and the violence it brings. Uh, And then we read of God uh, using the, the family of Abraham to bring about this promise. And so God is going to work through the offspring of Abraham to bring about this child from this nation that would represent what the Scriptures call the ways of God in righteousness and justice. And so, as we read, we have to ask ourselves, in regard to the characters, how do they demonstrate consistency with this primary central concern of the text? How are they oriented to the promise? How are they oriented to the family of Abraham? How are they oriented to offspring and the generations that must pass on this this promise and the generations that must pass on the ways of the Lord in righteousness and justice? And so that's really, that is the lens that we have to interpret things through. And so let's first hit Esau. Now Esau is introduced as a hunter and a man of the field, which, which should put our minds back to the the Nimrod, who was a great hunter, okay, and so Esau is kind of in this heroic man's man trajectory, okay? Now it says that Isaac loved and preferred Esau literally because of the game that was in his mouth. and so the image it doesn't interpret it, it uh, most english translations don't translate it that way it's it most english translations say that, that jacob excuse me that isaac loved esau because of the of the game that he caught and brought back to him for him, for him to eat but it's literally isaac loved esau because of the game that was in his mouth and so he enjoyed eating eat what esau would hunt and that's why isaac loved and preferred esau So Esau despises his birthright. So if you are in the line of Abraham, in this covenantal promise, this is the plan of God. This is is the responsibility and privilege of being the carrier of this promise, of being the salvation for the world, of being the nation that would be a blessing to all nations. And Esau despised this. It's not a responsibility that he wanted to take on. And, I mean, literally, it was more important to him to have a bowl of soup than to carry that tradition and heritage and that responsibility. He marries two Canaanite women, which made life bitter for his parents, and which is in direct contrast to what we see as what the um, people concerned about the covenant do. They were to avoid intermarrying with the Canaanite people because that would take them away from the promise and the ways of the Lord. Now after the deception, so after the deception that that Rebekah and Jacob work against Isaac and Esau, um, he sees the blessing that his parents give Jacob, go marry a woman from the family. This will make us happy. Esau, who seems to long for the affections of his dad and mom, sees that, wants to please them, and goes and marries a daughter of Ishmael, which is the son of Abraham through Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarah. And so he's trying to please mom and dad. Okay, I'll marry somebody in the family, but he hasn't married somebody in the line of the promise. He's married somebody outside of it. And so he, just a big heir there, thinking that he's going to do something to make mom and dad happy. Isaac eventually blesses them, but we see that Esau will be in opposition. He will be in opposition to to Jacob and to the generations of Jacob. And really you have to conclude by the the time these few chapters are over that uh, Esau is a man not really concerned with the ways of God. He's not really concerned about the welfare of his family. He's not concerned about the covenant or the promise. He's a hunter. He's a man's man. He likes to eat. That's, that's who Esau is. Now, if we get to Jacob, Jacob's ma- name literally means usurper or cheater. Okay? Cheater. It says that he's a peaceful and quiet man. And, and, you know, if you're just working from the text, peaceful and quiet is in contrast to the ways of the culture, which, remember, became so violent that God had to bring destruction upon the entire planet. And so... Jacob is is being presented as somebody in contrast to Esau. It also says that that Jacob was loved by Rebekah. The text doesn't say why. In regard to why Isaac loved Esau, we know that it was because of the food. But it doesn't say why Rebekah loved Jacob. It just says that she did. Jacob desires the birthright. So, Jacob, who's not the firstborn, wants the responsibilities and the privilege of the firstborn. He wants that mantle and gets it. He cheats his brother out of it. It seemed, it was a fair negotiation, but unequal in its benefit. When his mom proposes the idea to deceive Isaac, he doesn't object to it from a moral standpoint. He says, I don't want to get caught. I won't give a blessing if I get caught. I'll get cursed. And Rebekah says, well, let the curse come upon me. Jacob ends up lying to his father to complete this conspiracy, and Jacob does get the blessing. Jacob heeds the instruction of his parents, and he leaves to find a wife from his mom's family. So we see Jacob, at least when compared to Esau, is a much more fitting carrier of the covenant. He hasn't, we don't see him at this point praying out to God. We don't see him acknowledging God. Obviously, we didn't see Esau acknowledging God or crawling out to God. But if you just compare the two sons, Jacob, you'd have to say, is more fitted to be the one who carries the responsibility of carrying this covenant and of representing the family. He's calculating and he is shrewd. So we know of Jacob so far in the story. So now we come to Isaac. So Isaac is a really complex character. I mean, if you think about it, and the text doesn't really go down this too far, in terms of like directing you to think about it in a more deep way, and we just—I think—we become so accustomed to some of these stories. If we've grown up in the church, we we grow accustomed to these stories and say, "Oh, Abraham, you know, was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God stopped it." But if you could imagine being Isaac. And your, your dad is about to sacrifice you. And he hasn't let you in on what's going on. And God stops it. But if you're Isaac, how do you think about your dad? So he takes Rebecca as his wife. The next time we come across Isaac in the story, his dad tries to sacrifice him. And then his dad, through the servant, brings him a wife. Isaac prays to God. His, his wife is barren, and he asks God to bless her with children. So we see him acknowledging God and praying out to God. But we see him also loving his sons for what they do or they don't do for him, not their character. He has concern for personal safety rather than his wife's dignity in terms of when he gave his wife to Abimelech. But then God uh, saves him from that and he saves him from another series of events in which he was in conflict with Abimelech and his men because of wells and all this kind of thing. But God saves and delivers him, and he acknowledges God and he sets up an altar and he worships and calls upon the name of the Lord. But then we see that he doesn't look for a wife For Esau. Abraham had done that. So Abraham had kind of set this pattern. Isaac doesn't. And he only does for Jacob after his wife Rebekah's prompting. Even though he's not happy with Esau's choices, he did nothing to direct him. He sees that the... the, um, Well... I think if we're we're fair to Isaac, he seems to be a man divided. There are clear examples where we see him acknowledging God, seeking God, praying to God. But then there are obviously clear examples of where um, his stomach is more important than longer term things. He likes Esau because he's a man's man. He, who knows what's going on in his heart and mind because of what happened between him and his dad and and even though he he was going to um, bless esau he was going to give the blessing to esau the bless, so the blessing and it's different from the birthright the blessing is here is what um, i as father in the sight of god um wish upon you for your future. And these blessings are really central throughout the entire uh, Old Testament scripture in terms of where you see God working through these people. And so we, we see Isaac as a conflicted person. As a conflicted person. He, he seeks God, but he has a hard time making personal decisions and long-term choices for himself and his family that would really reflect A deep-seated devotion to, to, to God and to the purpose of his father, whom he's estranged from. And so we come to Rebecca. Now, again, what typically happens is Rebecca gets slammed by contemporary readers because we see her deception. And that really needs to be challenged. And so if we just begin to understand Rebecca from the text, we see her immediately established by the text as a woman of, of character in a very positive light. It says that God appointed her. The text makes certain that we understand that God has appointed Rebecca to be the wife of Isaac. It's repeated. And, and God answers the prayer of, of Abraham's servant. He gives a little test. Lord, if this and this and that happens, let that be the the woman that you have appointed for Isaac. And it exactly happens the same way. And that story is repeated in in the instance where he is there and then Abraham tells him this and and he goes and he tells the family and the family is very affirming of her going and marrying Isaac. She's hospitable and, and hardworking. One of the tests that the servant of Abraham gave her, well, that he prayed to God and hoped to see in her was that um, when she came to the well, she would not only offer him and his his other servants water, but that she would offer water for the camels as well. And I, I don't know how many. I don't think it mentions the number of camels, but if you have a a thirsty camel, <laughs> it's it takes 25 gallons of water to rehydrate a camel. And so that's a lot of water. And so if he had a half a dozen camels, that's 150 gallons of water. So she's hardworking, she's hospitable, because she volunteers all this. She's oriented to her family, Like, here's this plan that's been made out for her, and the family agrees to it, and then they ask her, do you want to go marry this man, Isaac? We've already agreed to it. Do you want to go now, or do you want to go in 10 days? She goes, no, I want to go now. I want to go now. So she leaves her home and her family, just like Abraham did. And so she's barren, Isaac prays, she conceives, she's got twins, but she is having such a difficult time of pregnancy. And you women who have been pregnant can understand this more so than the rest of us. Um, It is is so painful and causing her so much distress that she comes to a point, and this is Rebecca. Rebecca is a very hardworking and capable person. It gets to the point where she says, you know, why am I alive? I'd rather I'd rather be dead than continue to suffer like this. And she prays and asks God what is going on. And then God answers her. You have two nations living within you. The older son will serve the younger son. Okay, so this isn't This isn't like, hey, you've got twins. This is, you have two nations. You are going to give birth to two nations. And if she understood the covenant by that time, she would have to understand that one of those nations would be the nation through which God was going to bring this offspring, bless all of the other nations of the world, and sit as as the prominent nation for eternity. And so... Yes, she is enduring much pain, but now she sees her pain in light of God's cosmic purposes. So which gives her some perspectives, and my guess is she came back from that and recognized, okay, I can endure this since two nations are living in me, and I'm going to give birth to the nation that's going to bless all other nations. And I believe that this is why she loves Jacob, she understands God's purposes for her and God's purposes through for her son, the younger one. And so there's, there's favor towards Jacob because God's favoring Jacob, not because he dwells in tents and likes to cook, which, again, is sometimes is what you hear from preachers. Well, Abraham, you know, Jacob liked to hang out with his mom and was a mama's boy. That's why she loved him. That's not what the text gives us. She loathes Esau's choice of wives. Okay, why does she loathe Esau's wives? Well, the fact that he's got two to begin with. All right, Which so again, Lamech, Nimrod, those heroes of old. And they're not in the covenant. They're Canaanite women. They don't know the ways of the Lord. They're not pursuing justice and righteousness. And then she deceives her husband. And this is the big question in our minds as readers. How do we evaluate this? She says, you know, Isaac, my husband, is about to give the blessing to, the, to my son Esau, who is not worthy of the calling and who is not doing anything to exhibit a concern for the covenant and passing on the ways of the Lord in righteousness and justice. So what, how do we evaluate this? So first of all, let me just kind of run through. What we have in the text at this point, God created wives to be helpers to their husbands, Genesis chapter 2. Isaac is a divided man. He is not wholehearted before God. He has some affection toward God and acknowledges God and prays to God, but he's a divided man. He also has loves that are pulling him away from God and his purposes. And and Rebecca sees this in her husband. She has been told by God that the younger is going to rule over the older. Rebecca knew that Esau was not fit as the carrier of the covenant. Rebecca is not a woman to just sit back and wait. She's an active woman. She is appointed by God to be Isaac's wife. The text, when Abraham speaks to his servant, the text seems to indicate that Abraham had some concern. If I don't take some initiative in this, my son is probably going to marry a Canaanite woman, and that is not going to be good for him. He's going to need somebody worthy and stronger. And God seems to see this as well. And if you're thinking about Rebecca, and you know these things, you're sitting there, okay, you've been observing these for the kids are like 40 years old at this point. You've been observing all of these dynamics. You know what God's will is. And it's not like, I wonder if I interpreted that correctly. God spoke to her. And if you were wanting to be wholehearted (laughs) and you sense this responsibility and God has put you into this place and you're supposed to be a helper to your husband, what would you do? How could she be wholehearted and not try to do something to prevent her husband from passing on the blessing to this man who's marrying Canaanite women who has sold his birthright and wants nothing to do with the responsibility and privilege of carrying on the covenant? Because that's what would have happened if left alone. And there's, there's, there's some text that indicates that even though she's deceiving her husband, she's also trying to build him up in the eyes of her son Jacob. So here's what, here's what Isaac tells Esau before he's going to give him the blessing. Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. That's what that's what Isaac said to to Esau. Now Rebecca heard that. But then here's what Rebecca tells Jacob. Here's what your father said to Esau. This is what she, this is what she says. He said Bring me game and prepare me, prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before Yahweh before I die. Isaac didn't say anything about Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. And yet, Rebecca wants her son to know or to think that Isaac is concerned about the ways of Yahweh and passing on the the blessing before Yahweh. And so there there is deception that is occurring, but she's trying to elevate her husband in the eyes of her son. If all of a sudden, Rebecca is this deviant, deceptive, destructive wife, if we make that conclusion we are not aligning ourselves with how the text has developed her character to this point. So we have to be asking, why would a woman of this character that God has spoken these things to, who has been observing these things for 40 years, why would she be doing this? I think we have to see that she's trying to honestly help her husband in the best way that she knows how. So the deception occurs, and the text says that Isaac when he realized what happened it says that he trembled violently. The text doesn't say that he was angry. The text says that he trembled violently and it's it's literally the phrase that is used when when you are startled or trying to get the sense of my when somebody wakes you up all of a sudden and you' you're, you're kind of jolted and it's just like what's going on it's this it's this trembling that reflects as if he had just kind of woken up he suddenly sees something and he's startled here's the blessing that that Isaac gives when he gives it to jacob but he thinks it's giving he's giving it to esau he says may god give you the dew of heaven and it's the general term for god it's not yahweh it's um elohim which is just god it's the general term for god may god give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine Let people serve you and nations bow down to you be lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you, and bless be everyone who blesses you. But here's what he tells Jacob after he's realized what's happened, after he and he's sending him off because Abraham and excuse me Isaac and Rebecca want to send Jacob off to marry a wife from her household. Here is the blessing that he gives afterwards, kind of when he's realized. What has happened? I would say, even realize that what has happened is the thing that should have happened. He says this God Almighty, so he refers to the God, the one true God. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So now this blessing is directed to the one true God, and he's calling upon the one true God to bless Jacob, and he is invoking the name of his father, which he did not do earlier. And so it's as if at that moment when he realized what had happened, and you got to know, Isaac doesn't know Rebekah was part of the deal. Isaac just knows that Jacob deceived him, which is consistent with Jacob's character. He's the usurper. He cheated his brother out of the birthright. So it's like Isaac sees that what happened is probably what should have happened and that he has been self-deceived this whole time. But what happened is actually the right thing to have happened. And he now can understand his life in the context of God's calling and of him being the son of Abraham and the weightiness of that responsibility. It's like it all came upon him at that moment. How else would she have approached this? She could have, I mean, so the, the various arguments have been well he she could have trusted in the sovereignty of god and just done nothing and let the let the let it play out isaac blesses his son esau now i i don't know how that would have played out because it would have just thrown the whole story into a crisis but i think i think by seeing it this way it is giving credibility to the sovereignty of god because what if god in his sovereignty had brought rebecca to that place knowing that her husband isaac would need her and and god knew because of the qualities of rebecca that she would do that the other option is could 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 rebecca have been just direct and confrontational Hey, Isaac, I've been watching you for 40 years. You've essentially failed as a father and failed as the patriarch for the people of God. This is your moment. Pull yourself together. Don't give the blessing to Esau. Give it to Jacob because we know Esau can't be the man. Could you imagine how well that have gone over? See, again, Isaac never knows her part in it. To him, it seems like things worked out in the way that they should have, even though it was through Jacob's deception and my self-deception. It seems like this is when Isaac woke up and his wife didn't confront him, nag him, disrespect him, bring him down. Leon Kass says this of, this of this exchange. Does not the judicious yet loving use of guile prove more gentle and less destructive than direct confrontation, enabling Isaac to learn for himself, to learn from his own contribution to this deception that he has long been self-deceived without being lectured or nagged or confronted do we not see that rebecca has not only not damaged his dignity and self-esteem but has allowed him to find it truly only as a consequence of her careful deeds and speech so again we look at this passage it's it's there are a lot of weaknesses and challenges present in the people in this text but if we take a step back look at where the story begins And look at where it ends. It begins with an estranged and heart-divided Isaac, unconcerned about the covenant. It begins with an appointed and troubled mom with divine knowledge of God's will, but seeing her family moving away from it, and two sons pursuing their own devices. The story ends with Isaac, Rebekah, and Jacob aligned with the covenant now and aligned with each other. We see Esau. Esau's fate will be like the other generations, the other offspring, that do not align themselves with the purposes of God, and we will see Esau and his offspring uh, continue to be an obstacle and a challenge to the people of God throughout the rest of the Old Testament. I've preached this 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 text before from the context of look at the faithfulness of Rebecca rather than seeing her deception in another light. But I don't think that that's the bigger, I don't think that that's the point of the text. The point of the text, I believe, is for us to see. I mean, for me, I, I just, here's my experience. Look at how God has worked directly and by the gifting and calling of people in all kinds of weaknesses, in all kinds of challenges. And everybody's got weakness in this story. Isaac's got weakness that, that was present because of things that were done to him and as his divided loves. Rebecca's got weaknesses. She would rather die than carry her kids to full term. And she's stuck in a hard spot for decades in her marriage and in her role as mother. Esau, we obviously see he, his weaknesses. Jacob, he has his weaknesses and that he seems to be out for one person and one person alone, himself. And will do anything he needs to do to, to get there. He hasn't called upon God yet. So we, I, I see this, I see that God speaking through his word, And God gifting through personalities and types. There's not spiritual gifting here yet, but God has created Rebecca in a certain way. And he brings all of these dynamics together. And we see at the end of the story, the covenant going forward. We got questions about how Jacob and what's going to go on from here. But in terms of Isaac and Rebecca, a generation has passed and they are successfully passing on that to their children. And so I, I, I see it as something that as we as readers of the text should look at and just take a step back, because there's a, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery in this passage that we can't answer. The text doesn't give us a lot of Confident conclusions about this, like, okay, are, are you saying, George, that it's a good thing for a wife to deceive her husband? No, that's not what the text is teaching. <laughs> not at all. It 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 shows the work of God in real life, and it shows the people trying to work out their role and responsibility in the, within the context of real life, with a concern for or not a concern for the ways of God. Those concerned, or at least even a little bit, like Isaac, a little bit concerned about the ways of God, but a lifetime of a heart divided. But yet God brings him in through the efforts of his wife, Rebecca, whom God has also brought in, nothing by her own action, or her own will, God appointed and called her and brought her into this situation. And in the moment of weakness, she cries out to God, and God answered her, so he gives her a context for her suffering and pain. I think that we can see ourselves in a whole variety of ways in these characters. And the thing that we need to recognize and come away from in this text is the recognition that God is there. He has his purposes, and they're big. They're global. They're eternal. But he's called us as people to participate in them. And sometimes we as people are are heart-divided Isaacs. Sometimes we are highly capable Rebeccas that come to a point where we face obstacles that we don't think we can overcome. Sometimes we're like jacob self-consumed and manipulating and doing anything we need to do for our purposes and ways and god will deal with jacob that's next week and sometimes we're like esau stubborn obstinate no concern for god's ways trying to please the people around us but completely missing And i think the message of the text is, to, is for us to stand back and see and experience the power and the majesty of God in what he's doing with weak human beings and the amazing ways that he brings people into his covenant so that we can say, you know what? Yep, I'm an Isaac. <laughs> or yep, I'm a Rebecca. Or I'm a Jacob. And I hope, I hope I'm not an Esau. Man, if I'm an Esau, I don't want to be an Esau. I think that's what the text is showing, so that we see God and want to follow him having confidence that in spite of all of the challenges that may be in front of us, regardless of how estranged we are from our families or other people, God is at work through his spirit, through his word that he gives us, and through other people to bring us into his purposes. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for what I, what I think is just one of the most beautiful passages in all of your word in your care and concern for people as you carry out your purposes and your covenant. God, our our prayer is that we would be able to live wholehearted before you. Uh, Knowing all of the challenges that we face and knowing, Lord God, that sometimes it takes decades to work out what it means to be wholehearted before you. Help us, God, in our weaknesses, whatever they are. Help us to help one another. Help us to be blessings to one another. Help us to be creative, Lord, in in how we bless and strengthen one another. So that we, Lord God, would find ourselves together like Isaac's family. Together, aligned with your covenant and experiencing your joy and unity because of your great love through Jesus Christ and the purposes that he has put upon us. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.